Well, this morning is Family Sunday. It's great to have our kids here. I'm so excited that you are here today. I'm going to be talking about uh, really important stuff that we don't talk about very much, and it's very heavy, Mom and Dad, but I just want to let you know I think it's a great thing for your kids to hear what I'm going to share. You may have to help them process it afterwards, but I am uh, I'm really excited that they're here. So have you ever thought about the defining moments in your life? What I mean by a defining moment is a significant life-changing experience that changes the trajectory of your life. Maybe a personal tragedy, maybe a job change that takes you across the country, maybe a proposal, maybe a divorce, maybe a cancer diagnosis. Well, as I was working on this message today, I felt clearly that the Holy Spirit was saying to me, today could be a defining moment for someone here. And even in the first service, I already got a text from someone who said today was a defining moment for me. And so I'm really excited about what God wants to do in this service. And I just believe, I'm trusting, that this could be a defining moment for someone. So we're in this series, Base Camp. Uh, we started it the 1st of July, 2020, and we've been taking the Sundays in July for three years now to work on the articles of faith of the Church of the Nazarene. And the reason why we have done that is to just try to give us a solid foundation of our faith, to just talk about this is what we believe, this is what we stand on based on God's word. So today is the last Sunday, and I have the last article of faith, the 16th article of faith, and it's a big one. So let's just get right into it, okay? We believe in the resurrection of the dead, that the bodies both of the just and of the unjust shall be raised to life and united with their spirits. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. We believe in future judgment in which every person shall appear before God to be judged according to his or her deeds in this life. We believe that glorious and everlasting life is assured to all who savingly believe in and obediently follow Jesus Christ our Lord, and that the finally impenitent shall suffer eternally in hell. So to summarize, this article of faith makes four affirmations. Number one, we believe in a resurrection of the dead. Number two, we believe in future judgment. Number three, a glorious life awaits those who are forgiven and obedient. And four, those who reject God's offer of salvation will suffer eternally in hell. So what I wanna do is just look at each one of these four affirmations, look at scripture that supports them, and then give us a chance to respond at the end of the service. So the first affirmation, we believe in the resurrection 
of the dead. Last week, Alex talked about the second coming of Christ, and in that, he already talked about the resurrection of the dead. So I'm not going to take time to repeat what he said, other than to say that we believe that our earthly bodies will be transformed into heavenly bodies and reunited with our spirits when Jesus comes back. So, we don't have to be afraid of death. We can know that what's on the other side, if we know Jesus, is an awesome, awesome experience. You know, these old bodies of ours that Paul correctly says are wasting away. Anybody my age or older can say amen to that, right? Isn't it great to know that finally when these old bodies give out, it's going to get good. And those old bodies are going to be exchanged with a glorious heavenly body. Can I get an amen? amen. Yes, yes. Number two, there's a future judgment. The most clear picture of this future judgment is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Verses 11 through 15. Would you stand in honor of God's word as we read this text together? Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You can be seated. So we see this scene of this great white throne with God seated on the throne and everyone is there. Dan Boone, president of Trevecca Nazarene University and former pastor of Olivet College Church of the Nazarene, where I served with him for 12 and a half years, wrote a book on Revelation. And in the book, he writes about the judgment. Apparently, what we do is noticed in heaven. There's a book of deeds. We are responsible for what we say and do, but there's also a book of life. I'm glad God keeps two sets of books. One reflects the raw record of my life. The other reflects the presence or absence of a transforming encounter with the warrior for my soul, Jesus. The books are opened. Everyone is there. No one sleeps through final judgment day. Everybody is raised by God's accountability alarm clock. The dead, small and great, stand to be judged. Everybody shows. No creature is absent. The saddest note in the Revelation has to do with the names not found in the book of life. <clears throat> they join their heroes in hell, which must be getting crowded. 
the beast, the false prophet, the dragon, death, the grave, the earthly embodiments of evil, the fully devoted followers of the devil all end up there. The rebellion begun in Eden has ended. This is the end of evil as we know it. Third, glorious life awaits those who are forgiven and obedient. This is the part I like to talk about the most. When you look at the theme of the Bible, the number one overarching theme of the Bible is redemption. A good and loving God has been working to redeem us from the estrangement we experience with him because of our sin. God sent Jesus, his only son, to come and give himself for our redemption. And the culmination of this rescue mission is the crucifixion of Jesus where he dies and suffers his own painful death and sheds his blood that we can be forgiven. We celebrated that just a few minutes ago in communion. So the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, which validates God's victory over sin and evil. This awesome experience of being forgiven and restored to the one who created us and loves us with an everlasting love is available to everyone. That's God's desire that everyone would come to know him. 2 Peter 3, 8 lets us in to God's heart and desire. Alex talked about this last week, but we need to look at it again just to see God's heart for us. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And when we do repent and receive the gift of eternal life, the Bible says we are given abundant life on this earth, and then when we die, it gets even better. Let's go back to Revelation and look at the picture that awaits us if we are in Christ. Revelation 21. Look at this. Just imagine the scene with me. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. 
And finally, those who reject God's offer of salvation will suffer eternally in hell. We don't talk about hell much, but that doesn't make its existence go away. Jesus talked about hell a lot. You know how many verses? 172 verses where Jesus talked about hell. So from these these verses, we see that hell is a place of eternal torment where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That gnashing of teeth phrase, that gets me. Because I think a couple of times in my life, I have gnashed my teeth. When I did something really, really stupid, and I knew I was going to pay a big price for it. You ever made that sound before? Descriptions are a lake of fire. Everlasting darkness. Hell is an awful place. Wes Craven, the Hollywood's leading horror movie director, could never depict how awful hell is going to be. Now, at this point, I'm guessing maybe somebody here is thinking, how could a loving God create such a terrible place and send people there? It's a good question. Let me take a shot at it. First, I think it's very important to understand, like we said already, God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. You saw the verse, 2 Peter 3, 8. It is his desire that no one should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. So if you have a picture of God that is like a mean judge that takes pleasure in doling out punishment and sending people to hell, you've got the wrong picture of God. God is good. He's loving. But God created us with the freedom to choose. We see this in the garden, Adam and Eve, in Genesis. God said, you can choose to enjoy the garden, enjoy relationships with each other and with me, but you must not choose to eat of the forbidden fruit. This freedom to choose, this gift God has given each of us can be used to either embrace Jesus or to push him away. And when we choose the latter, God, who respects our freedom to choose, who doesn't force his way on us, says, okay, have it your way. And if we continue going down that road of pushing God away and rejecting his love and grace in our lives, that ends up in eternal separation from God. Henry Spaulding, president of Mount Vernon Nazarene University, has written a book on the Articles of Faith. And I love this statement because I think it really clarifies what I'm trying to say. Let's look at it together. God does not so much condemn a person to hell as God accepts our own 
self-condemnation. Does that make sense? Another really scary teaching of Jesus about hell is that on judgment day, there will be people who think they are going to be in heaven who will end up in hell. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You know what is especially sobering about this text? Jesus is talking about people like us people who know about God, people who do ministry that somehow miss the heart of it. Did you see what he said? He said, I never knew you. That's the heart of it, knowing Jesus, having a personal relationship with Jesus. One other thing that I want to talk about in Jesus' teaching about hell, and this is so obvious, but I feel like I need to say it. Hell should be avoided at all costs. Matthew 5, 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Honestly, I kind of find this repulsive. I mean, Jesus, do you really have to talk about gouging out our eye and cutting off our hand? And in no way, is Jesus ever teaching that we should really do those things. But please don't miss what he is trying to say. Our eternal destiny is important. In fact, I'll say it this way. Our eternal destiny is the most important thing in our lives. And Jesus is saying, don't let anything stand in the way of you making it to heaven. Nothing should be allowed in our lives that will result in us spending eternity in hell. No body part, no temptation, no fleeting pleasure, no disobedience, no sinful pride, nothing, nothing should stand in our way. In just a minute, we're going to respond, but first let me quickly review what we've talked about. Number one, there's a resurrection of the dead. We believe 
that these earthly bodies will be transformed into heavenly bodies and united with our spirits when Jesus comes back. And then we will experience either eternity with Jesus or apart from Jesus. Number two, there is a future judgment. We will all stand before God and what will matter in that moment is what we did with Jesus. Did we embrace him or did we push him away? Number three, a glorious life awaits those who are forgiven and obedient. We have this great gift of eternal life that is available to us, which will bring us abundant life here on this earth, and then it even gets better after we die. And finally, those who reject God's offer of salvation will suffer eternally in hell. Hell is real and should be avoided at all costs. So do you remember at the beginning of the message, I talked about defining moments? I want to give us a chance. I want to give you a chance to experience a defining moment today. So here's the question. Are you confident that you will be in heaven when you die? You might say, well, sure. Yeah, I'm going to be in heaven when I die. I'm a good person. I go to church. Friend, if that's you, don't put your confidence there. It's not about you being a good person. Please, please understand. I don't want any confusion. In fact, let's look at the article of faith to just make sure you see what is the criteria. We believe that glorious and everlasting life is assured to all who savingly believe in and obediently follow Jesus Christ our Lord. So the question is, do you savingly believe in Jesus? Are you obediently following Jesus? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think if I did, many of you would raise your hand and you would say, yes. Yes, I'm confident. When I die, I will go to heaven. I've asked Jesus to forgive my sins. I'm committed to following him. And if that's you, praise the Lord. Awesome. Just keep following Jesus. Maybe there's somebody who would say, you know, I've asked Jesus to forgive my sin, to be, but to be honest, there is some disobedience in my life. If that's you, I have to lovingly warn you and say, friends, come judgment day, God is not gonna grade on a curve. God is not going to say, you know, for the most part, you've trusted me, and so we'll just kind of ignore these areas of disobedience. 
No. So if that's you, please, I beg of you, confess that. Be honest, own it. Receive God's forgiveness and grace in your life. Trust him to help you be obedient moving forward. Don't let anything cause you to end up in hell. And maybe there's someone here who would say, you know, I'm not confident that I'll be in heaven. Based on what you've said, I'm not. And if that's you, thank you for being honest. That is so huge. And my question to you is, would you like that to change? Would you like that fear and doubt about your eternal destiny to be changed to confidence? I'm going to explain to you how that will happen so that this could be a defining moment in your life. We've talked about all that Jesus has done, that he gave his life, shed his blood as a payment for our sin. But to access that, we have a part to play, and that is wrapped up in two biblical words. One is repentance. That means to change our mind about who will lead our lives. In the past, you have been your CEO, and Jesus is saying, no, I need to be the CEO. And faith, confident trust in Jesus as your forgiver, and the leader of your life moving forward. So if you're ready for that defining moment, if you're ready to cross that line of faith, I'm gonna give you a chance to do that and here's how we're gonna do it. Worship team is gonna sing a song of invitation. And during this song, I want you to search your lives and your hearts and respond. I think it would be a really good thing if you want to make that decision to repent and trust Jesus and receive his gift of eternal life. I think it would be great for you to come forward and kneel at one of these altars. There's a section here and here and over by the cross. This is not mandatory. This is, you can pray this prayer in your seat. But I do think there's something really good about just publicly standing up and humbling yourself and saying, I, I need Jesus. And I wanna humble myself and pray. So if you choose to do that, that would be awesome. And then after we sing, I'm gonna just pray a prayer that we can pray along with to help you receive God's gift of eternal life. So let's stand and lead us as we sing.